welcome. Glad you have uh, everyone here tonight. Pastor is out of town at Pensacola, right? Is he still at Pensacola? Yeah. Yep. So heading back tomorrow. So, all right, well, let's go ahead and get started. Let's stand. We'll sing together our first song of the evening, Wonderful Words of Life. Sing them over again to me, wonderful words of I'm asking a lot from her. What key are you playing in? F? Yeah, it's in F on the on the slide. Yeah. Alright, we'll, we'll give it a shot. Let's see how she can do on this. A little impromptu. Here we go. Christ the blessed one gives to all wonderful words of life. Sinnerless to the loving call. Wonderful words of life. Standing on the promises. Standing on the promises of Christ my King. Through eternal ages let His praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God. When we walk with the 
thing is any any prayer request that uh, from the from us all um, that uh, you need to share and then uh, um, we'll uh, I, then I'll go ahead and speak and then uh, we'll uh, have prayer prayer later on so but any any specific prayer requests obviously pastors traveling back home tomorrow so uh, pray for him as he wraps up things at TCC and then uh, heads back home Anything among us? Okay, I got it's William and what? Endoscopy? And that's tomorrow? Okay. Anything else? Okay, so that was William and an endoscopy tomorrow and Pastor. Uh, and then uh, we'll uh, we'll break up uh, when we're finished uh, in a little bit. Um, <clears throat> so as we continue this uh, discussion of leading up to and trying to understand the the uniqueness of biblical manhood, all right, uh, it's. It's, it's not as well understood as we might suspect. And in a world in which we currently live, the, the issue of secular masculinity, uh, and uh, j- just I, I deliberately put that in, in pink font because the truth of the matter is, is that modern feminism has done everything it possibly can to feminize masculinity in the United States and to just denigrate the whole idea that there is any good that can come out of men and masculinity. Well, um, unfortunately, that's, <clears throat> that's something uh, a little bit contrary to what God has to say about the order and sequence of things, and we're, that's what we're going to be looking at. And as we think about uh, this tonight, and then we, we look forward to the transition that we're going to go into in the future, um, every day, okay, for all of us as guys, dads, granddads, um, we, we need to re- remember this and realize this. Every day, all day, we are passing along a worldview and a version of manhood that we actually believe to be true. Our actions speak far greater than our words. Right? And when we, when we ask ourselves the question at the end of the day, and I'm just going to s- segue for just a second, um, while we're talking about biblical manhood, um, biblical manhood is just not something that dads, who, men who have boys, should be interested in. Every man, if he's, if, like in our case, um, we had three girls. And so, you know, I didn't have um, boys to go to the shop with, although I did take the girls up on roofs and they sh- shingled with me and other things along that line, and so they got a a smattering of things, but the bottom line is, is that there's a tremendous um, effect that men dads have on their daughters as they try to figure out what is this male thing that I'm going to eventually get married to, and what does it mean to, and how do they assess and adjust and and, and uh, begin to understand what is a legitimate valuable man and what are the criteria that that it should be characteristic of this individual um, as as he begins to have an interest in me and and I can remember some of the conversations that that all three of our girls had with us um, and believe me they were some some rather fascinating conversations um, and, and the, the, but the bottom line is is that 
they needed to know what they should expect, what should be normal from a biblical perspective as it relates to how should a man treat a woman. And we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, tonight. But just, I mean, this is not just dads and boys. There's, there's much more to it than that in terms of culture, society, etc. But at, at the end of the day, it would not be a bad idea for all of us as guys to say, how well did I do this day in passing along my worldview and my, version, my, my view of, of manhood today? What, what did I accomplish? Um, or what did I not accomplish that I should have accomplished, as the case may be? And uh, what I want to do today is, is I want to wrap up what I would call the theoretical side of this, and I want to move into, um, over the next X number of weeks, whatever, however a pastor wants me to do this, answer the question, what, how, what's the how-to? If we're going to set a category out there called biblical manhood, how do I implement that? How do I know what that really means? How do I fulfill it, etc.? So as we, as we think about this, and we, we looked at this last week, um, there's, there's a principle here that is uh, of incredible importance as we look at the, the longevity aspect of things, and it said the task of a, man, a father is not to raise children. All right? um, I'll give you an illustration of, of where this goes wrong, um, and it actually is going wrong in, in one of the most unfor- unfortunate circumstances and locations in, in all of American history, and that's in the U.S. Senate. All right? We currently have a senator from the the state of Pennsylvania, um, and some of you are going, mm-hmm. So he is the perfect example of an individual who was raised as a child. And it wasn't until the age of 49 that he moved out of his parents' home. And now he wants to wear sweatpants on the, on the Senate floor. Okay, that's a perfect example of a young man that was never raised to be a man and to understand something. So it, it happens in the worst of all scenarios and worst of cases, okay? And so as you take a look at this, as we as men take a look at this, in the church, at home, in community, um, out on the ball field with the guys or whatever, and you are a mentor, all right? Um, you're the instructor. You're the shepherd of your sons so that they can, and here's the key piece of this, so that they can shepherd the next generation of men. It's not enough to say, okay, they kind of grew up and they kind of, they, they kind of have this manliness. Can they train the next generation of men, their sons and their sons' sons, and, and does, it transition, does it transfer from generation to generation? That's something that occurs in process it's not something that you read in a book. It's something that occurs because you run shoulder to shoulder with, with other men, um, boys that are growing into manhood, etc. And they understand the differences. And this is all about modeling and, motor, and mentoring. Okay, and I'm just going to I'm just going to you know park on the first one for a second. We looked at this last week, but knowing and obeying Jesus. All right, if there is a mark of a man that's going to try to implement and try to, to convey the concept of, of manhood. It is knowing and obeying Jesus Christ. Um, that's what it takes to be the mentor, to be the instructor, to be the shepherd. Because we're, we as men, we're looking to Jesus Christ as the example, the, 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 the setter of all standards, etc., for this. And so as we look at this, we need to realize that that we better be doing something more than just passing along some good ideas. We better be equipping them to do something, to become something. Um, and it's deliberate, and it's, it's a content-rich um, uh, responsibility. Um, <clears throat> and, and so what you model and what you mentor on a daily basis, and every day we are doing this, every day that we're rubbing shoulders, and Eli and I both have a, a common objective. I mean, when I, when I spend time with the boys, uh, Tucker and Keenan, my mind's going, what am I conveying to them, and what are they going to learn from me, and what are they going to think about, about being a man based on their time with Grandpa? And, and so, and, and I don't always pull it off right. I'm just going to be honest with you. There are some better days, and there's some not-so-good not days. But the, the point is, is that you, you, the better days better outnumber the, the, the worst days, right? And, and when we make a mistake, um, 
And this is, this is the other piece of it. We, we better be ready to say, I blew it, and to let the kids know that, that I blew it. And, but then you don't repeat it again because then you're mentoring, mod, modeling repeated bad behavior. And it, that will be caught. The kids will catch that, all right? So um, as, we, as we begin to take a look at this and we, we kind of wrap this up, Biblical manhood is a journey, okay? It's not something that you snap your fingers and all of a sudden you become. No, it's, it's, a, it's a process that you go through um, to, to, to move from childhood to, to biblical masculinity and to the point where you have a, a biblical manhood that you can convey to the next generation and you've got it fixed in your head. I mean, it's, it's a content-rich um, uh, idea. It's a journey from ignorance to knowledge to obedience. And We'll talk about this a little bit more on, on, on an additional slide on, on the issue of where we are at in terms of worldview. Because it, there, there's, ignorance is, is, is not just a raw blank um, slate or anything along that. Ignorance is just not knowing what is what is, what is if you will. Knowledge, okay, there's the, the problem with just raw knowledge is the fact that you can verbalize and blurt out um, 10,000 Bible verses but have no clue as to what they mean, no, no clue as to what the context is, no clue as to how do you apply it in a, in a particular context. And it's just a matter of verbiage that gets conveyed. Uh, but when you go to the next step, and this is the one that we're going to come to and spend a little bit more time on, obedience, okay? And in the, the obedience aspect of things in Christianity in terms of understanding what a biblical manhood was and biblical masculinity is this. It's not obedience because I have to. It's not an obedience because I'm demanded to, to. It's an obedience that comes from an entirely different um, basis, and this is one of the things that makes biblical Christianity so vastly different. Why do I obey? Why, why do we obey? Because I love the Lord, and I love His commandments. And therefore, I obey. And that's, that completely flips around the, this uh, whole worldview in terms of how do we do things. Um, I love the Lord. I love, you know, I, I love the Lord with all my heart, all my strength, all my soul, all my mind, all my etc. Why? Because I, He loved me first. And, and this is what makes biblical manhood so very, very different from the manhood of the world. So it's, it's and, and this, is, this is what takes us from the, from the position of, of um, a religious perspective to a relationship perspective. Um, and so it's a journey from, and these are a couple of terms that come out of a couple of the books that I've been reading. It's a journey from spiritual anorexia and spiritual bulimia, all right, from, all right, and this is a journey. Everything, when we take a look at this, understand it's from to, from to. And Paul uses two other terms that, that are go, right along, go right along with this, and the terms put off, put on. Okay, we're going from something to something. And that's, that's the normal spiritual life. That's the normal life of a Christian. He's going from a, a person who is basically ignorant, ignorant of Christianity to some knowledge, to obedience, and it's a life of obedience that, that is, is what's so attractive, if you will. Well, spiritual anorexia, anorexia is an aversion to reading the scriptures and digesting them. Now, here's the key. This is where words like and become incredibly important. It's an aversion to reading the scriptures and digesting them. You can read and read and read and read, and as, as one of the authors says, it's like a pipe that goes through your head. It goes in one side and out the other, all right? And that's not what we're talking about. And digesting them, it becomes something that is inherently inside of you, in your mind, in everything that you do. It's dictating, it's directing is a better word. Um, it's directing what you're doing, why you're doing it, etc. Um, spiritual bulimia is an aversion to applying the scriptures to one's own life. You can sit in church and Sunday school and listen and, and, and take notes from all you want. But if you close that book, it goes home, it sits someplace, and you never look at it again, you're not going through the process of applying it to one's life. And, and this is what, this is again, it's, it, it has, there's a responsibility here 
And I do this, why? Because I want to be more like Christ. I want to, I want to look like, think like, act like Jesus Christ as, at the end of the day. Um, it's a journey of lifelong obedience. Have you, ever, have, you ever, have you ever come to the conclusion that obedience is, is just not something that you inherently want to do every day? No, but it, it is. I mean, and so when we, we were talking this morning a little bit um, with a couple of the guys, because they, they, two, two of the guys from, that were um, at the morning service are, are reading um, uh, Extreme Ownership, which is written by a couple of seals. And, and so they talk about these same things in terms of, 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 of understanding what you've learned and why you learned it and what does it mean in terms of how you do things, etc. So, um, and it, it's how they are successful in their missions because they've, they've learned to follow the instructions. They, they know that their, 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 their leaders have taught them these things because they know it's what's going to keep them alive at the end of the day. Right? And it's going to make them successful so that they can, they can go on and they can be the individuals who can lead the next generation of SEALs or, or other special ops guys uh, to accomplish uh, objectives for, for national benefit. It's a journey beyond, to be, it's a journey to becoming a perpetual self-starter. You know, it used to be that, that when, we, when we take a look at, at what it meant to live, um, you had to use one of these things to start your car, right? You had to go to the car, you had to put the key in the ignition after you opened the door, and then you, then you turn it on. Well, like right now, I can start my truck right here, right? Well, you don't get started on, on, on an autopilot somehow or another. You've got to take, take the responsibility for starting your life, starting your morning, starting your day. Um, and it's, it's every day it's going to require that. And, and our, our sons and our grandsons and people who, young men who we influence, they need to see us as the adult men in the church self-starting their spiritual lives on a daily basis. Um, I, I can remember some of the early pieces of literature that I read when when I was looking at, you know, what it means to be a dad and when the girls were very, very young. And I remember several of, the, several of the authors that I wrote said something to this effect. The, if you, the, the thing that will, may have the most effect in your children's life is if they see you day in and day out, on your knees, at the table, reading, studying, praying. And, and they, just, they see that as a characteristic of how dad... Dad lives, and mom is the same way, okay? So, but you've got to be a perpetual start, self-starter. You've got to get, your, get yourself out of bed, and then you've got to get up and get, do something, and, and, and God's first in the, in, in the midst of things, okay? So, and when we're looking at this, okay, when you, you, when you factor all these things in, what you ought to be able to do is to be able to, at the end of the day, look back and ask yourself the question, what changed today? Positively speaking, has anything changed in my life today in terms of becoming more, more Christ-like? Well, I hope so. So there are some neg negative indicators here that, as well. So when we, when, we, when we look at this, a spiritually, mal a spiritually malnourished man is worthless in, in spiritual hand-to-hand uh, -hand combat because he has no strength and he's to pray for the enemy. Now, when we, when we look at this, I mean, General Gray, who was the commandant of the Marine Corps back when I was a, a young buck, um, made the comment that every, every Marine is a rifleman, right? And he said that because he recognized that hand-to-hand -hand combat was the, the last of all options, but the most necessary one, because if you couldn't, if you couldn't win in hand-to-hand -hand combat, you were probably going to die. Because at the end of the day, you, you, it came down to who's, got, who's going to get the last punch in. And, and in, in combat, sometimes you lose your, you know, you, you run out of your ammunition, you run out of your grenades, you're you're, you've been, you know, working hand hand to hand with your rifle, and it gets knocked out of your hand or something. And at the end of the day, the guy who has the strength to, to, to engage in hand to hand combat will win, and he wins. He has an opportunity for another day. All right. So, and and we need to think about how nourished I am spiritually, because the spiritual walk, the spiritual life, is a hand to hand combat event. In terms of the circumstances and the situations of life, it's face to face, it's person to person, and uh, and not just you know we're, we're not in a fight with everybody else on the on the planet, but 
it's a spiritual battle that we're in, and we, we have to be ready. Um, in terms of where we're at, in terms of just where our country is today, we've moved away from traditional Judeo-Christian values toward a worldview that lets us self-select values based on whether, or whether they serve our self-interests. Um, I, can't, I can't say this strongly enough, but we are a culture that, that basically says, I will choose my values based on what is going to make me feel the best about the way I want to do what I want to do about whatever it is in life. It's not about finding the values in the book of, in, in the scriptures and saying, I'm going to select the values that are, are going to enable me to become a man of God so that I can serve the creator God of the universe. All right? And so this is the real world, and this is why the world... This is why we've got some of the nonsense going on in Washington, D.C., because the traditional Judeo-Christian values are no longer, essentially speaking, anywhere in Washington, D.C. I mean, when you read our founding fathers, what we would call, and they were a categorized list, they could, I mean, they, you, could, you could go right down the list and you would, you'd see these values. It, would, it comes out in, in their prayers, it comes out in their conversation, it comes out in their debates. It comes, it, it was, it was, they, they were inherent to who they were. Because the word of God was inherent to who they were. And so if we're going to try to come up with and, and to, to build a biblical uh, manhood view and to build a worldview, if we don't have a concrete understanding of what are those Judeo-Christian values that provide the foundation but also provide the, the, upper, the, the superstructure for this, we're, we're not going to make it. We're not going to be successful. And in, in the world in which we're living um, today, it comes down to this. The choice between a biblical worldview and a secular worldview is a choice between God's race and the rat race. And the way, the way this is illustrated in, in many of the books is this. Um, you can have two, two guys, two women, doesn't matter, um, who are in identical positions in, in, a, in similar or equal to the same, same institution, and, and one person is, is functioning it's based on biblical principles and, and they're, they're excited and they're moving forward and life is good. Not that it's not difficult, but, it's, you know, but their, their race is the race to, to God's approval. Right? And then there's those that are involved in the rat race and it's just, it's just, it's, it's just nothing but hard work and it doesn't get anywhere. And there's, there's, there's all sorts of lack of success. There's, there's just a whole lot that, that could be said about that. But we need to ask the question, whose race am I in? And you know, how did I get into this race? You know, and, and who's leading me in this race? And, and who's guiding me in this race? And, and what's the purpose of this race in terms of all of life? And so as we, as we look at this, um, these are real values. And the bottom line is, is that at the end of the day, the values and the value system that you have, actually speaking, everybody else knows what it is. They can tell who, where your value system is based on, you, you, you can't hide it all the time. You're probably all familiar with the phrase, you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. Well, when it comes to this one, it's, it's black and white. I mean, people in the world know when you, when you self-selected values that, that, are, that are contrary to what you say that you are, all right? Um, so let's talk about this worldview options thing for a minute because it, 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 in, in the world in which we live today, it is really getting um, confusing and puzzling and it, it really causes you to scratch your head. So back, back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, um, and then particularly in the, uh, the, 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 the 1920s and then into the 40s, um, there was a major transition in this country. Okay? Those traditional Judeo-Christian values we're getting washed out of, of society, out of culture, out of the schools, etc. And, and now, that, now the flood is on, and, it, and basically it's being flooded out of them. So <clears throat> when I say secular Christian worldview, that's not a misstatement. Right? What happened is they, they reworded and redefined all of the, or, or the majority of the, 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 the Judeo-Christian terms and and they gave them new definitions, et cetera, 
And it, that's why I use the word ignorance to describe it. It's, it, it's ignorant of the facts. But it, it works great in terms of the media um, and, and other things along that line. And so what's happened is the, the secular has merged, been merged with the Christian to create a hybrid worldview. And there are a lot of people in a lot of churches and this is where they are, because the secular is as much, if not more, of who they are than the Christian, right? And the Christian takes a second place to the secular in their lives. And they're really ignorant of what the scriptures have to say. They're really ignorant of, 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 of everything that is, that, that is embodied in what the Bible has to say. And then there's the cultural Christian worldview. And this is becoming, this is, this is a larger problem um, in our circles today, because it's as long as you can have a facade of the cultural aspects of what it means to be a Christian, you can do everything else. And so there's and where it really shows up is is inside and outside of our homes. Um, you can be a cultural Christian here, and I'm not talking about SBT necessarily, but in church. But you close the door at home, and and everything who you are is. Is, is vastly different. I mean, you basically flip a switch when you, move, when you go home and close the door. Um, there's a lot of knowledge there. Um, here you've got individuals and situations where you've got people who can regurgitate um, large, large numbers of verses of the Bible, but they have absolutely no relevance to who they are, what they do, how they live their lives, etc. They're used in, in selective, selective situations and circumstances to give the appearance that they're Christian. And this is what this cultural aspect of things is, is, is doing. And it's, it's happening um, across the spectrum within, within Christianity. Um, and it's not just in the United States. Okay, This is something that's going on, on on mission fields around the world as well. And then there's this, this, this anomaly thing called biblical Christian worldview. And here's where, if, if there's a single metric that you can use to... to measure if somebody is there, ask the, ask the obedience question. To what extent do you, do you obey? Is your life driven by your, 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 your um, behavior in life, driven by a, a, a yearning, a, a burden, a desire to be obedient to, be the, to the Lord and to, to have His well done on a daily basis where we've, we've, we've demonstrated that we love Him and we are being obeying His Word, we're concerned about His Word, we're concerned about you know, the words that we say, the thoughts that we think, the, the, the actions that we have, and the, the way we, we treat one another, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the, this is all great stuff, okay? But it, it really doesn't have value until you get to the, you, you kind of nug it down a little bit to understand just exactly wh who we are and where we sit in this, in terms of, I'll call it the, the American Christian environment. So, um, George Barna has done some, some amazing work and how he gets the stuff he gets done at, at, at the statistical level that he does so is way beyond me. So according to Barna, all right, now we've got to walk through this, only 10% of those who claim to be fundamental, orthodox, evangelical Christians, that's, this, that's what we are, and then there's a larger circle around us that's it's, it's the conservative evangelical Christians, and there's, there's several other words that can, can be added to this list, but only 10% of those individuals who claim to be of this group actually believe and practice a biblical worldview. Now, <clears throat> this is where you begin to recognize the fact that a worldview is not just a, an ethereal set of ideas and, and, and so forth. This is where the rubber meets the road, and your belief and your practice are speaking one language, and it's one conversation. Now, let's unpack that a minute. Okay, so let's, let's take a look at the population of the United States, okay, 100%. <clears throat> so in order to get to the point where we're trying to find out about this 10%, recognize that as, as we take a look at the United States today, um, depending on who's doing the, the, the statistical analysis, we're at, at about a 50-50 point, and that may be, a, it depends on who's doing it. 50% of the Americans 
are decidedly non-Christian or non-religious. They have no religion. They are not Christians. They don't want to be labeled by Christian. This is, I'm going to include in this all of the other religions that, that, are, that are out there, okay? And then we, we get to, and now this is what's been happening. This is the dilution process that's, that's been going on for the last 150-some years. So now we get down to 50%, okay? That's all of what you would call Christianity. Now, that's all of Christianity. Now, as we, as we start to move down the, the line, you start, to, you start to look at it, well, okay, so, and I'm not going to name names here, but by the, you know, there's some that you can begin to say, okay, they're in that group, but they're not us, okay? They're, they're in the group, but they're not us. And so you, the number starts to come down and gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And then we get to this, this finally we get to this group who, would be considered to be the fundamental orthodox evangelical, the, what, what many people would call the serious Christians, right? There's really some Christianity and, and some belief, and they, they actually know what a Bible is. They actually know how to open it up and, and, and to read it or whatever the case may be. Now, so when, you've, when you come down the spectrum um, in terms of just the, the overall population of the United States, take a guess what percentage of the population in the United States actually fits into that category. Not the claim category, but the category that we're talking about. No, it's, it's actually 10%, all right? However, but you got, the, you got the last number right. You got the last... Of those that say the 10% that are in this, this, this category, and, and, and name it, if you will, there's only about 10% of the 10% that actually believe in practice. So... If, we're, if we are in this group who have a biblical worldview, we actually believe it, we actually practice it, we're at the 1% of the U.S. population factor, all right? That's how small this is today. That's not the case. It was not the case in the 1700s or the 1600s, all right, in this country, all right? <clears throat> um, and, and there's, there's so much that's, been, that's changed in terms of church history and religious history and Christian history um, since then that it's, it's just amazing. But we, that's where we're at. So um, let's, let's join arms and let's, you know, let's get together here and let's help each other because we're going to need help if we're going to, to be engaging in the process of, of uh, being certain about the fact that we're believing and we're practicing this because we're not going be, to pull it off um, on our own. Um, so it's, it's, you, you might look at this this way. The, Christian, uh, uh, the secular Christian worldview is what I would call the in-name-only Christians. Um, the second one, the, the, the cultural Christian worldview, is the, the head-no-heart group. Um, and then the, the third group is obviously those that are obedient, obedience-based-on-love um, group. All right? Now, there's... If there is a, 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 an indicator that is, is going to kind of make or break things here, um, when we talk about this idea of manhood and its relationship to God, um, Tony Evans wrote these, these, these um, three statements here. God is free to respect your manhood when you respect his Godhead. Right? If a person does not have respect for God, don't expect God to have respect for you. Right? God will be there, but it's it's not it's not going to be that, that relationship piece that's that's so so crucial, all right? And that's how it works, okay? God God is God is very interested in, 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 in us, in, in, in all of us basically. But he says, What do you have to what degree do you respect me? And and so you, you gotta think that one through. Now, this next one <clears throat> It's like, ouch, um, you, you should have been here this morning, okay? Um, th- this was a fascinating, um, when I read this, this was extremely fascinating this morning, all right? Um, and, you know, this was, I, I'm going to let you think about who would have been here this morning, okay? While it's, r- while it's the rare woman who will admit her age, and, of course, we had all of, the, all of us who were in the, that little, and, and the ladies were laughing, and I, we were, I was laughing, and so, but it's true, I mean, Women are, are less inclined to admit their age, okay? And pastor, you know, plays that game with us on Sunday nights, right? So, but here's the, here's the piece that's important to us. 
it has become the rare man who will act his age. And as, as we think about this, this is, this is the key. If, if we're not men who act our age, it's going to be incredibly difficult for us to pass on to the next generation a biblical manhood. Manhood, period, okay? You can pass on childhood real easily. But this is, and this, so this is where we're going to be, this is where we're going to be going over in the future. But I want to I wanna just give you two more slides and I'm just going to read them and just put thoughts in your mind, okay? Five questions for dads, granddads, etc. Are you involved in your son's activities, athletic events, school programs, at church? Are you just a bleacher, pew sitter, or a participant, all right? Now, I'm not going to fill in any of the blanks on these at this point. Do you help with your son's homework? Um, are you impacting, are you imparting a biblically-based vision for manhood to your sons. Now, we're going to talk about Acts 6-3 someplace down the line because when they first had the deacons in the first century, they had no problem finding men who were full of the Holy Spirit in the first generation, right? Why is that such a huge problem in the 21st century? Are you, are you training your sons to relate to the opposite sex, not just sexually, but socially? And I'm going to give you an illustration of, of uh, how, did this, how does this work at a very, very practical level at a very, very young age. Um, I've been, and this is, this is not just about women at this point, but the, the behavior, and, and I'm, I'm sticking my head way out here, but the behavior of our, some of our toddlers, not toddlers, but you know, young, young kids, in terms of how do they treat the opposite sex women uh, in the foyer, right? Just think of some of the behavior that you see. How many times, you know, we, we, we speak about the knee knockers, all right? Well, that's, we're we should be training our young men at that age. There's a reason why you don't run in church or, you know, Pick, a, pick an option. Okay, we'll talk more about those. Um, and then and that gets us to Ephesians 5, 21 and 25. Number five, are you, are, have you developed a specific list of biblically-based masculine values for your sons? Godly, noble values. Number and four, four, four manhood principles to ponder. Now, I would argue that, that if, you, if you don't have these down, um, and you're, you don't know how, how this is, is supposed to function, you're not going to be able to pass manhood down to the next generation. Right? A real man rejects passivity. A real man accepts responsibility. A real man leads courageously. And a real man expects greater reward. Now there's, we're, this is where we're going to be going um, in the future as we, as we work through the process of what do I, who do I need to be in order to be able to pass down manhood, biblical manhood, and then how do I, how do I take a, a, young, a young boy and, and bring him up through his, his years from you know, adolescence to puberty to graduation from high school, graduation from college, and then uh, when he gets ready to get married. And, and so... What are we, what are we um, infusing into this, this, this young man so that, that he's able to become the next generation, but also he's able to become the dad and the husband um, that is needed if we're, if we're going to have a, a, a next generation church that is characterized by, <clears throat> um, by manhood, by biblical masculinity, etc. So those are the five... Uh, uh, nine questions, if you will, or nine, uh, nine thoughts to, um, for you to... Oops, sorry. So it's, it's these questions to, to ask yourself, and we'll see them again, uh, and these four principles to, to start pondering and saying, what does that really mean? And, and, and where do I go with that, right? So... Um, it's, uh, I got, uh, 10, four, 
14 minutes here, so we're, we're going to go ahead and, and, and go to prayer. Um, and any other prayer requests that we need to share with everybody at this point? No? Okay. Well, yes, ma'am? Okay. Unspoken? Okay. Um, all right. So, um, select your group. Go to prayer. Break up at your... Um, when you choose to, right? <clears throat>